Good morning. What a beautiful service and what a warm welcome. Thank you for having me. This is a, uh, a treat to be treated so warmly and hospitably. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So thank you to Gaston for reading the scripture. Uh, Gaston is also a clergy person in the Texas Annual Conference and works with orphaned and vulnerable children on a number of continents. And so I'm really pleased that he's here and can meet you all today. So today we're going to talk about prayer. Prayer is one of the most important practices of Christian life and discipleship. According to Martin Luther King Jr., to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible to be alive without breathing. Prayer sustains us, shapes us, forms us, and most likely got most of us to this point. God and Christ, through the Holy Spirit, connected to us through prayer. But how and what we pray reveal a significant amount about ourselves and our relationship to God and to others. For some, prayer is about bringing our list of needs, and God wants to hear our needs. God probably doesn't mind hearing about our wants, but the wants get tricky. As has been attributed to C.S. Lewis, prayer is not for the purpose of changing God, but for changing us. Prayer brings us closer to God and to one another, and it restores the image of God in us. And in the text read today, the key activity indeed practice for at least one, the Pharisee and the tax collector is prayer. So the Pharisee, standing far off, prayed, God, I thank you, I am not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of my income. So, a question, was his prayer answered? We can suppose, but what did the Pharisee actually ask for? He didn't ask for anything. Who did the Pharisee rely? Who does he rely for his identity and for his salvation? Probably himself. And who sustains the Pharisee in his life and vocation? Sounds like he's trying to do it all by himself. So then what was his purpose in going to the temple and uttering his reflections to God? We're not sure. Whatever his purpose, it did not seem to include an openness to formation in God's image and relationship to God and neighbor. But the tax collector, remember, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now is the tax collector's prayer answered. For what did he pray? He prayed for God's mercy. The tax collector petitioned God for mercy. While aware of his sinfulness, the tax collector understood, or at least hoped to understand, the vastness of God's mercy and came humbly to the temple to seek God's grace. Did he think he could save himself on his own or by his good works? No, but he did see the possibility of drawing closer to God. So the Pharisee and the tax collector 
They pray apart from one another, perhaps because of the perceptions of the community and the politics, but perhaps also because of their perceptions of self. The Pharisee prays standing by himself in a section worthy of his social or ecclesial role, but perhaps also, as the text indicates, because of his contempt for others. The tax collector prays standing far off, again in a space considered deserving of his role, but possibly because of a contempt for himself. So whether we distance ourselves from God and one another because of an abundance of self, or whether we're distanced from God and God's creation because of a lack of self, our purpose, our telos, is still proximity to and relationship with God and neighbor. All right, now us. You've arrived here at Truett Theological Seminary, sustained by the Holy Spirit and prayerful submission to God's call upon your lives to serve Jesus Christ. And looking back, whether you're in your first semester or your last semester, the path journeyed is a significant one, probably paved with many prayers of petition and deserving of many prayers of thanksgiving. However, there are still many legs to this journey ahead, and I'm only imagining that at midterm, that road may seem a bit long and bumpy. But relationship to God and one another can give us the endurance and sustenance that we need. Like the Pharisee, we can be tempted into self-sufficiency, a practical atheism, according to Parker Palmer. I love that. Methodists, Methodists need grace. That's why all that fits together. We are Pelagian. Um, I only speak for myself. <laughs> but like the Pharisee, we can be tempted, tempted into self-sufficiency and that Pelagian word. Forgetting that this is a journey with God and with one another in which we're invited to share in the revealing of God's reign. Or with the tithe collector, we can get so worried or concerned or contemptible that we separate ourselves or allow others in the system to separate us from community. But what redeems us is allowing God in Christ through the Holy Spirit to draw us into relationship with God and neighbor, sustained by prayer and practices of love of God and neighbor. So it's no small accomplishment that you're here, whether students, faculty, staff, administrators, but even in this beautiful place with all the wonderful light and colors, with the architecture, with the texts, with the practices, we too can begin to regard others or ourselves with contempt just in the midst of the fatigue of the middle of the semester and allow ourselves to believe, maybe subtly, that we've accomplished or will accomplish our work here or in the church or in the world on our own strength and effort. It is interesting that the Pharisee pursued the very practices, fasting, tithing, prayer, that cultivate relationship with God through Jesus Christ, yet the Holy Spirit wasn't really able to get through to form his identity and bring him closer to God. Wherever we are on this journey, it's God's love for all creation and our responding to that love through these practices that sustain our vocation and our identity and purpose. So one could manage to leave this place having collected a vast amount of knowledge about God through the content of, let's see, core classes, advanced seminars, field education. Did I cover most of it? 
theses. Okay, you don't care. You know what I mean. <laughs> that was enough. It's the middle of the semester. Um, but without Christian practices of love of God and neighbor, the real Christian ones, even spiritual formation, that content will eventually lose its meaning. And no, Dr. Angela Reed did not make me say that. Just the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, so practices of prayer, worship, silence, rest, devotion, outreach, some in the curriculum, probably mostly beyond it, will sustain our vocations in God's reign over a lifetime when we pursue these in relationship to God and one another. That Pharisee had most likely accumulated a vast amount of knowledge, but his journey to the temple and prayer had little purpose in relationship to God, neighbor, and creation. So a reference to a German. We're in a theological school. Helmut Thielicke. In his, and I'm from Texas, so the accent, you know, it happens. Um, he says in his little exercise for young theologians, caution students of theology to watch for the increasing tendency, do you know this, to shift from the second person talking to God to the third person of talking about God. Do you get that? So we come to seminary and we're still talking to God, but somewhere in the end of the second year, we start talking about God. We sort of forget to take the time to talk to God. Now, I don't know. That's when it happened for me at the end of the second year. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm backing up. Um, the study of theology loses something profound when it is not done in the context of prayer and a community seeking to practice Christian faith. Now, at the same time, we're located intentionally in a university setting where knowledge of God and intellectual practices are valued. Simone Weil reminds us that academic work can be sacramental when pursued with the purpose of the love of God and through tasks that heighten our attentiveness to that which is other than ourselves. Without this rigorous attention, according to Vey, we can neither pray nor be present with those who suffer. So when we cultivate practices of rigorous attention to texts, particularly when we read in other languages— we cultivate practices of rigorous attention to God, neighbor, and creation, according to Vey. So intellectual practices that are infinitely applicable to the real ministry practices that we all love to do. So it's God that brought us here, gathered us to learn from one another, growing in knowledge about God, not to prove our worth, but to heighten our attentiveness in relationship to God and neighbor. For as you know, there's nothing, absolutely nothing, we can do to make that triune God love us any more or any less. Did you hear that? Sometimes I need to hear that again. There's nothing we can do to make God love us any more. There's nothing to earn. It's all free. And what an amazing gift of freedom to follow God's call. So God's called us to a variety of ministries, maybe preaching, teaching, serving, advocating, Let's be faithful in our prayers, for God will make that road plain. It may not be smooth, but at least we'll know where to go. The assignments, the grades, the evaluations, these cannot undermine God's call upon our lives or God's unconditional love for us. God's reign is realized through the prayers of the humble as we grow together in knowledge of God, receiving God's mercy in Jesus Christ, serving one's neighbor in the strength of the Holy Spirit, 
and sharing God's love and mercy with all the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.